0: You're listening to Beyond Black History Month. This is a hip-hop made takeover. Hip-hop made. I'm your host, Femi Redwood. Did you get a chance to watch the 2023 Grammys? If not, you really should. Not the whole show, it was really long. But definitely check out the musical tribute to hip-hop. Melly Mel, Run DMC, LL, Queen Latifah, so many amazing icons. But there was also this bittersweet moment, because for many of them, they didn't get the accolades they deserved from the music industry decades ago. That's why it's so important to me to tell the story of hip-hop. Other topics you can expect this season: everything from the gentrification of streetwear to how the fight for workers' rights is impacting the rap industry. So, if you're not subscribed to this podcast, hit that subscribe button. We're on the Odyssey app and all of the podcast players. Odyssey
2: station. 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 So,
0: a recap of parts one and two. DJ Cool Hurt created a new sound by extending the instrumental breaks of a song. MCs began using rhymes to entertain a crowd. And the first hip hop song is on a record, therefore allowing people anywhere in the world to hear this music. But as we embrace the 80s, there is change. Disc tapes hit the scene, the light-hearted disco sound of hip-hop is replaced by gritty lyrics detailing life in poor neighborhoods, and the music industry begins to take notice. Today, you'll hear from Run DMC's Daryl McDaniels, who apparently met Michael Jackson and his former monkey, Bubbles. So I'm out with Michael
2: Jackson and Bubbles the monkey, so you can't tell me I ain't gangster.
0: <laughs> so there's that. We're also talking with our hip-hop historian Rich Nice, radio DJs Ed Lover and Big Tigger, DJ Grand Wizard Theodore, Abiyodun Oyewole from The Last Poets, and Rahim from Grandmaster Flash and The Furious Five. To many people, a rapper is not an MC unless they can hold their own, going bar for bar in a freestyle battle. And the rap battle that set the stage for decades to come happened in 1981, Cool Moe Dee versus Busy B Starsky. It went down at the legendary nightclub Harlem World. Ed wasn't there, but he heard a recording shortly after.
3: When I heard that, the, the first thing I thought was, Jesus, this is the most disrespectful thing I have ever heard in my life because before that, the hip-hop that you heard on tape, it was always, you know, they would go against each other sometimes, but it was never just as blatantly disrespectful as what Modi said to Busy B.
0: Busy B was a very well-known MC. His rhymes were largely light, comedic, and party-focused, like a lot of hip-hop at the time. Cool Modi was a member of the group The Treacherous Three. He was also very well known, but for his lyrical skills and sharp tongue. Up until this point, battles between MCs were mostly about who could rock the crowd and get them the most excited. But Cool Modi changed the focus: who had the most creative rhymes and who could one up their rivals the most.
3: The story that Dougie Fresh told me, and he was there that night, it was that Busy Bees people who promoted Busy B a lot would throw these MC contests and Busy would always win like he would just win all the time and Modi got fed up with it so instead of trying to match him where he lived at with the throw your hands in the air what's your zodiac sign and all that he just came straight for the jugular vein with the listen Busy B I don't mean to be bold but take your ball diddy ball bull, back home you know let's get on down to the nitty gritty I'm gonna tell you a little something why you ain't it was like Wow. Like this is like that's the first thought I had was like this is disrespectful and it's disrespectful as
0: hell. It was the birth of battle raps, but also something bigger, a fresh lyrical MC. Cool Modi became cemented in history. Here's Grand Wizard Theodore
4: everything was competitive you know we never said we was gonna burn each other's house down we was never shooting at each other we took everything to the club to the microphone to the turntables and stuff like that and you know cool modi and and busy b they were just basically being competitive with each other and busy b just got the short end of the stick he messed with the wrong mc
0: there's a cliche that says, people know your name, not your story. But for hip hop, those two things kind of go hand in hand. When DJ Kool Herc extended the breaks at his 1973 party, no one called that hip hop. When MCs picked up the mics to give shout outs to the crowd, no one was calling that hip-hop. The term is believed to have started in jest with Love Starsky, who was a DJ and MC in the 70s and 80s, and Keith Cowboy, who was an MC during the same time. Rich Nice is going to explain. Part of one of the
4: biggest conversations about hip-hop is the beginning of the term hip-hop. Love Buck Starsky and Keith Cowboy, and part of the conversation is that they had a friend who was leaving for the services. And, you know, the armed services has that, you know, left, 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 right, left. And so they was joking. You're going to be saying hip hop, hip hop, hip hop, hip hop. And it became the joke. And they kept on messing around. And, you know, Love Book starts with DJ. And he would go, I said a hip hop, a hip hop, and, and different inclinations and, and vocal tonages. People would start to re-say it over and over. And then there was a time when it was a disrespectful term. It's like, get out of here with that little hippity-hoppity stuff. You might want to have a little hippity-hoppity music. Get out of here. It wasn't until 81, 82, where it actually got its actual coronation of the term hip-hop. It was used before that but it wasn't really known before that.
0: The term became known in 1982 when The Village Voice wrote an article where it used hip hop in the title. This was the first time hip hop was used in a major media publication. The first time MCs appeared on national TV was in 1981. The group was Funky Plus One, and one of the MCs was a woman named Shah Rock. Sherrock is the first known female MC. She's known as the mother of the mic and was only 19 years old when she performed on national TV. She was also pregnant, but hit it because she didn't want to be scapegoated. And the moment was made possible by Debbie Harry from the new wave group Blondie.
4: The first time hip hop was on television was on Saturday Night Live. Blondie was supposed to perform, but she gave up her spot and let Funky Four performed and she was like I want to introduce my friends from the Bronx her mindset was I saw all these rap groups and it was great but this one was led by a girl and so I see this girl leading this rap group and she's not just leading it because she's pretty she can rap just as good if not better than the guys and here she is let's go It's like a domino effect, like we were saying earlier. It's like one piece connected to the other piece, connected to the other piece, connected to the other piece. And it just starts to really, it starts to go.
0: He was recently talking to her about this major moment. And I asked her, I said, what made you do it? And she was just like,
4: it was new, it was different, and it just felt right
0: it's easy to forget how deeply connected the early hip-hop scene was. This is especially true when you look at Run DMC. Daryl McDaniels grew up in Hollis, Queens, had a backyard with grass, went to Catholic school. This was a completely different scene than the South Bronx, but when the music made its way to his suburban-esque neighborhood, he wanted to be a part of it.
2: My brother Alfred had two friends he hung with, Anthony Wallace and Booby Long. Anthony Wallace was the first to get DJ equipment, so all the kids would go over to Anthony's and just watch him DJ. Then Booby Long, who had a job, got techniques, technique turntables, like Booby got real equipment—the stuff that they had in the Bronx. But my brother was like, "Yo, we gotta get equipment and this and that." So me and my brother, only thing that we had to get money was comic
0: books. They sold so many comic books, they were able to buy DJ equipment. <laughs> he was only DJing in the basement. But when he heard a rhyme from Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, he knew he wanted to pick up the pen. Grandmaster Flash is a hip hop pioneer. He created various DJing techniques, like the use of fingertips as a way to control the vinyl and create sounds. In the 70s, he was really, really well known. Breakdancers, MCs, they would literally follow him from party to party just so that they could dance or rhyme over his music. Eventually, he formed a group, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Its members, Keith Cowboy, Kid Creole, Scorpio, Raheem, and Melly Mel. Mel was the lead writer and MC in the group. This many years later, he's still considered one of the greatest MCs.
2: My brother brought home a red label record that said, enjoy. It said, Grandmaster
4: Flash,
2: and the Furious Five. I was like, "Oh, that's that DJ group." So my brother put that on the record, and was like, "It was a party night. Everybody was breaking." This wasn't no disco thing. This was. I was like, "What the hell is it?" It was a party night. Everybody was breaking. The house was screaming, and the bass was shaking. And it won't be long till everybody knowing that flashes on the box going. I'm like, "What the hell?"
0: The song the 1979 hit Super Rappin'. He still remembers all the lines. we a
2: the furious five plus Grandmaster Flash, giving you a blast of show enough class. So to prove to you all that we're second to none, we're gonna make five MCs sound like one. That's when I said, give me a pen. And that day I became EZD. I started writing rhymes because of that. So in my basement, I became the DJ and MC for myself.
0: In 1982, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five released their single, The Message. A lot of hip-hop music before The Message still had that disco sound. But The Message was more than just a bop. It had meaning. The song was an account of life in the Bronx. It was socially conscious and hit on major social justice themes, economic inequality, addiction, and housing. The song even impressed The Last Poets, the 1960s spoken word group that is often referred to as the godfathers of rap. Here's Abiodun Oyewole.
3: One of the, the pieces of hip hop that I will always remember and appreciate was done by a brother named Melly Mel. I mean, when he said, don't push me because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep going under. I thought, poetically speaking, that was a sound line.
0: Listen, that is an OG with very high standards, so that is a compliment.
5: As a matter of fact, with Rick James at the time.
0: Right? That's Raheem, one of the MCs from Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Remember how I just said so much of the early hip-hop scene was connected? Raheem used to be in the group The Funky Four before it became The Funky Four Plus One.
5: We battled Grandmaster Flash and The Furious Four May 11th, 1979 at the Webster Avenue PAL in the Bronx, and Grandmaster Flash and The Furious Four won the battle. But a few days after the battle, Melly Mel, and at the time his name was Mr. Ness, but later changed it to Scorpio, showed up at my mom's apartment and asked me if I would be willing to join their group. And so I became a member of Grandmaster Flash's group and they changed it from Grandmaster Flash and the Furious 4 to Grandmaster Flash and the Furious 5.
0: He says it took the group some time to realize just how meaningful their music was. But in Chicago, he had an aha moment.
5: I met a woman who invited me to her place for dinner and this was before our concert. And she lived in these projects off of a street called Racine and you know i'm from the bronx so i'm not afraid to go anywhere i called a a taxi to take me to these projects and the taxi driver he said yo i can hear by your accent you're not from here he said yo man if you don't know nobody over there like that's a bad place you might not return from there brother i said um well i'm not really worried about that i'm from the bronx and he's like I don't know what the Bronx is like, but uh, (laughs) when I drop you off, I ain't coming over there to pick you up, brother. So I said, "Okay, no problem. So I was dressed in full Chicago Bulls regalia, the sweatsuit, red and black Bulls sweatsuit, red and black Michael Jordan's red and black pitted cap. And being from New York, you know, the New York swag in me made me tip my cap to the side. And I wasn't paying attention to what side. That didn't matter as far as I was concerned, but that absolutely matters in Chicago because that determines what gang represent and also what colors you're wearing. So upon stepping out of the cab, there were a crowd of young men, maybe about 30, almost 40 of them that I could count. They took off running towards me. Being that I didn't know where I was and I'm a New Yorker, I wasn't running, so I didn't run, and when they got up to me, they said, show your love. I said, show my love. I said, oh, okay. I said, I I got mad love, homies. They were like, oh, nah, that ain't what you're supposed to say. You ain't from here. Where you from? I said, uh, I'm from New York. They said, what you doing over here? I said, my group and I are performing with Rick James tomorrow. Your group? Rick James? Yo, who's your group? I saw Grandmaster Flash in the Furious Five. They they're like, "Oh my god. Yo, you you OG. Look. Listen. You protected in this neighborhood, all right? Take take our number. And do you think you could get us passes to the show tomorrow night? I'm like, absolutely. They was like, yo, we your security. I said, absolutely.
0: (laughs) And despite many in the music industry not embracing hip hop artists, he knew their impact was global.
5: I vividly recall us performing in countries where English wasn't necessarily their primary language or maybe not even their secondary language. But when it came time for us to perform our songs, they knew every word.
0: In the same way Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five told musical stories that were authentic to their lives, Run-DMC did as well. And the trio's journey, Daryl, Rev Run, and Jam Master Jay, started at school. (laughs) in eighth grade Daryl started hanging out with a kid from his school named Joseph Simmons
2: when you're little you're not supposed to have company so after we would play basketball in my backyard I would get water so I would bring the pitcher water out and give it to eight or nine kids
0: one day it was just Joseph so Daryl told him to come inside for water and wait in the basement and when he went in the
2: basement he saw me and my brother's DJ stuff So when I come downstairs with the water, he goes, show. my brother's Russell Simmons. He manages Curtis Blow, and I perform with the Crash
0: Crew, and I'm like, what? Curtis Blow was the first hip-hop artist to sign with a major label and have the first certified gold record rap song, hence Daryl's excitement. Russell would later become a hip-hop mogul. And as I'm sure you figured out, Joseph would later be known as Rev Run.
2: We would play ball. And before my mother and father would come home, we go in the basement and DJ. And then one day, he just found my rhyme book. Like, I forgot to hide it. I didn't want nobody to see the rhyme book, because it was mine. But I left it out. He found it. He was like, Darryl, you want this? I was like, yeah. And I remember he said, yo, this is real good. He said, whenever my brother lets me make a record, I'm putting you in my group. And to me, that was like, yeah, whatever.
0: They end up going to different schools and losing contact. Daryl graduates and enrolls in college. Then in August, he got a call from Joseph.
2: Yo, Daryl, what's up? Remember four years ago when I said if I ever make a record? I'm like, yeah. Well, my brothers let me make a record. Grab your rhyme book, we're going to the studio.
0: And just like that, in 1983, run DMC. Daryl McDaniels, Joseph Simmons, and Jason Mizell would become a lasting force in hip hop culture. One of the things special about Run DMC was that the group respected the relationship between DJs and MCs. Daryl says they understood that the DJ was the foundation of hip-hop.
2: So nowadays, if you see a rapper rapping or performing their favorite record, that's not hip-hop. That's a rapper rapping to the music that's on their record. Hip-hop is... You got to have a DJ like a Jam Master Jay, a Grandmaster Caz, or Eric B using a record and a turntable and a mixer while an MC or the vocalist performs. That's hip hop. This other thing is something that we do because we're in show business. Now.
0: He says when they came into the business, they made it a point to do what was being done since the block parties, house parties and park jams.
2: Our thing was we didn't arrive. We've arrived. Hollis has arrived. Bronx has arrived, so we had a representation.
0: But that representation hasn't always been celebrated. There's a tense relationship between black artists and many of the theater, film, and music awards. This includes the Grammys. It didn't have a rap category for several years, well after it was clear the music wasn't going anywhere. And in categories that are not genre specific, like Album of the Year, black artists often get shut out. That's why Michael Jackson told Run DMC the lack of Grammys was not a statement of their worth.
2: And Michael Jackson said, we should have won them all. He said, number one, everywhere I go in the world, hip hop's there and y'all are there. Then he said, y'all should have got best new group. He said, y'all should have got best new rock song. Y'all should have got best new rock rap collaboration. He said, don't be disappointed by any of the awards and the money that you don't get. In 1989,
0: the Grammys finally embraced rap. Sort of. It received its first category of its own, Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff, won for the song Parents Don't Understand. But the Grammys wouldn't televise that category, and there was a boycott.
2: Let me show y'all hip-hop Willis. Him and Jeff didn't accept it because they didn't put us on TV. So, for everybody that didn't think Will was gangster in the midst of NWA, he was more gangster than all of us because he took a stand for something. People overlooked that. He didn't accept it because they didn't give it to him on TV. And why did he do that? Because he was thinking about Rundy MC and Melly Mel and Theodore.
0: Other artists who took a stand included Salt and Pepper, L.O. Cool and Public Enemy. The rap category was televised the following year. But there would be other boycotts as time went on for versions of the same thing, treating black music differently. The song Walk This Way was pivotal. It sent the message that hip hop was as valid as rock and roll. But the mashup with Aerosmith and Run DMC almost didn't happen. The two groups were really different. Aerosmith was older, on the decline, in desperate need of something, and Run DMC was fresh. Their beats, lyrics, and clothes, their careers were trending up. So how did this collab come to be?
2: Walk This Way Aerosmith came about, we was gonna sample one of the breakbeats we used to rap over. So Walk This Way was a breakbeat that we rapped over because all we needed was the drums. We just to gonna to sample that and make a rap song, but Rick Rubin...
0: Rick Rubin is a record producer. He co-founded Def Jam with Russell Simmons.
2: Rick Rubin was thinking, the Got Rock Box, the Got King of Rock, we already know you'll make your own rap record. He said, why don't you do something that has never been done? What's that, Rick? Make the original version that the rock band did over. What? So me and Ryan didn't want to do that because we want to say our rhymes. So him and Jay convinced us to do it. But what was smart about Rick is if we would have just made What You're Here Today without them, I don't think the record would have changed anything. By Rick saying, y'all do that, I'm going to go get them so they can do it with y'all. So what that does is knocks down the wall and it separates the generations. So you see hip hop, rock, rundium, CN, Arrow Smith together? That's like an atomic nuclear bomb that's gonna affect Everybody after us for radio waves.
0: He kind of downplays this story, but Run DMC, especially Daryl and Rev, were not feeling the collab. When they left the recording session, Daryl says he told the label, do not release this ass a single. Good thing they didn't listen. Run DMC achieved another milestone that would set the stage for partnerships between rappers and brands a $1 million deal with Adidas. Here's what happened. They had a song called My Adidas. The song was a sort of rebuttal to rhetoric that linked wearing sneakers with no laces to a life of crime and incarceration. One of the managers realized this could be a great way to an Adidas deal. So they invited an executive to the concert. When the show came on, Rev Run told the crowd to put their Adidas sneakers in the air. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pairs of sneakers went up. The Adidas exec realized there was money to be made using hip-hop to market sneakers and apparel. Ed Lover, who hosted Yo! MTV Raps, witnessed a lot of moments in history. He still remembers this one to this day.
3: When I was in Madison Square Garden, when Run DMC got the Adidas deal, And Ron said, turn the lights up, and told everybody that was wearing an Adidas to put it up in the air. That's one of my favorite moments in hip hop history.
0: Big Tigger, who also hosted an influential music video show, Rap City, explains why this was so big.
3: We fought
6: so hard to get any kind of recognition from big corporations back then. There is no artist sneaker deal without Red D M There is not.
2: Adidas ain't messing with Kanye no more, but they wouldn't have messed with him in the first place if it wasn't for this precedent we laid down.
0: We owe a debt to hip-hop pioneers, those who put in the work in the 70s and 80s. And I don't just mean the MCs, the MCs of course, but also the DJs, the graffiti artists, and the B-boys and the B-girls, because hip-hop has created so much. There's the music of course, obviously a business, but also life. I've asked people repeatedly in this series, what does hip-hop mean to them? Time and time again, I get the same answer. Hip-hop saved my life. And I know that may sound like hyperbole, but that's legit what they said. It gave people a way to express themselves. It provided a therapy before it was acceptable to talk about therapy. And that's why these stories have to be told, but also preserved.
4: I got into a big argument with a professor who was teaching at a university that Hip-hop started with the Sugar Hill Gang. And he was teaching this to students and they were paying for this. So now I was so furious, I blacked out so crazy on this guy. And I had to catch myself and go, well, there is no curriculum that shows you or at least gives you a moderate timeline of where hip-hop is and what it came from. So in his world, to his understanding, Christopher Columbus discovered America and so now as furious as I am about that I have to catch myself and go you're from the soil you're from ground zero of hip-hop so of course to you that's a falsehood but if you don't help create a curriculum or some sort of guideline to show where we are and where we've been then I have to apologize to him every day.
6: As in most things, it's not promised. Uh, at some point, rock and roll ran the world. At some point, country music ran the world. Hip-hop is on an amazing 25, 30-year run right now. But it's not to say that uh, if we don't take care of it, cherish it, regard it as special, if artists don't regard it as something special, if they don't feel any kind of weight Uh, our responsibility to further it and not just take from it. At any point, it could not be the popular genre. The money could be gone and and we'd be back to whatever we're doing. So I I would say in 50 years, I just want everybody to have a deep appreciation for what hip-hop has afforded, not only you and your enjoyment, but lots of people on lots of levels.
2: What the industry needs to do is start incorporating representation at the tables that distribute and create our music. Now, over the years, a lot of people went about it wrong. Shub Knight had it right though. He just went around choking people. He said, we make the music and we don't control nothing. He went about it wrong. But what I'm saying now is, as we move forward, you need Chuck D in an executive position along with Kendrick Lamar. You need Grandmaster Kaz, along with Wycliffe at Universal. You need Salt from Salt and Pepper, along with KG at Motown Records. Now you need us, not to tell you how to do your business. No, I'm not here to do that, do your corporate thing. But we need to be there so you can tell us how my communities are gonna survive moving forward. Cause your kids ain't going through what those kids that are buying these records is going through.
0: This was the last episode in our series on the birth of hip hop. Admittedly, I barely scratched the surface. There are so many stories I did not get to, but I will. I mean, we haven't even touched on women in hip hop. All year, you can expect interviews with legends as well as in depth reporting on stories relevant today. So please make sure you subscribe. We're on every podcast platform and the Odyssey app. Thanks so much for listening. If you're enjoying our series, please hit that subscribe button. Also, rate and review our show. This helps us in the podcast rankings. Beyond Black History Month, A Hip Hop May Takeover is a special production of 1010 Wins, WCBS News Radio 880, and Odyssey. Special thanks to producers Jill Webb and Dempsey Pillot. Andy Egan Thorpe is our audio engineer. And I'm your host and managing producer of podcasts, Fami Redwood. Thanks for listening.